Okay, so we are live on another edition of the Edlo Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. This is another bucket list moment for me. I am with one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time, WWE Hall of Famer, Tito Santana. Mr. Santana, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I, I was telling you off air, I, I went to a lot of house shows when I was a kid. Uh, all the way through the 80s and 90s and you were on I, I if if not every almost every one of the house shows that I went to very rarely I'm from Sacramento California so very rarely did we have um pay-per-views here we had the Royal Rumble in I think it was 1990 the one that Yokozuna won um that was the only pay-per-view that came through but we had lots of house shows back in that time and uh, and you were always there and uh, my favorite run of yours is the Strike Force run, um, from beginning to end. Like when you, when you and Rick Martel got together, won the belts, losing his demolition, and then the, you know, leading to the turn after the Brainbusters situation in WrestleMania, and then the feud you guys had, really just was was so well thought out and well done uh, for both your your parts. So excited to have you here, man. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to, I used to love to come uh, all over California because, you know, that's uh, my kind of people there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. There's a there's a lot of Latin American people here. There's still, even now in the independent scene, Lucha Libre does incredibly well here. Um, there's a there's a few Lucha Libre promotions that come through. When I, when I, uh, I, I own a wrestling ring and I did a, uh, some ring rentals for a group called Lucha Libre USA that had Blue Demon Jr. on it and Chavo Guerrero Jr. and, and uh, a bunch of guys like that. And it, it drew incredibly well. So I'm sure you had a, you had a quite a following out here. Yes, we did. Yeah. So, so tell me where, um, I want to start just getting some background about you. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Mission, Texas. Uh, Mission is in South Texas, five miles from the Mexican border, five miles from McAllen, Texas. That's where a lot of the people are crossing the border right now. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, where I went to school, probably 75 to 80% were uh, Hispanics, Mexicans. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my first language, of course, was uh, Spanish. Mm. Okay. So did you, um, uh, growing up, were you, were you a wrestling fan when you were a kid? No, I was not. Uh, uh, wrestling came from San Antonio, uh, Joe Blanchard. And it, it used to come on either at 11 o'clock or at midnight. And uh, <clears throat> I was never able to stay up that late to watch it. So, you know, I never watched it. So I, I, I wasn't a wrestling fan at all. Hmm. So um, my understanding is, is you, you were athletic, you played sports growing up and even played college and a little bit of professional football. Yes, I did. Uh, it, it was my, uh, my eighth, eighth grade coach who started, started trying to convince me to, to, to start playing football. We were migrant workers mm. and uh, we wouldn't start school till uh, probably the middle of October. Mm. Uh, so I came into my eighth grade and started in the middle of October and the season was almost over. And the, the coach wanted me to go out for football that season. Mm. And uh, I couldn't understand why he was asking me. And uh, I, I, I was, I was kind of afraid to, you know. I, I thought the football players were were monsters, you know, even even in the middle school. So I just told him that, uh, you know, I didn't think my mom would go for it, and I, I just told him, I thought, I mean, I didn't know nothing about it. I, I thought I had to buy my own equipment and uh, shoes and helmets and shoulder pads, and so I just told him that. Uh, my mom wouldn't let me. He says, well, tell your mom that I'll drop you off at home. And uh, I said, okay, I'll talk to her. But I, I I didn't talk to her, but I came back, you know, the following day and I told him that my mom just wouldn't let me go out for, for football. <laughs> so, 
So did you eventually, you eventually though did go out? Well, uh, what happened is being a migrant worker, uh, they would keep us after school for one hour every day. Uh, and we'd go in the library and, you know, it was almost like a punishment for being migrants because we missed all that uh, school at the beginning of the year. So I had to be there for an hour and I was there with another guy and the other guy uh, told me, he says, uh, why don't we go try out the season? Football season was over. He says, why don't we go try out for, for basketball? If we make it, we can get out of a study hall. Mm. So, uh, you know, I asked, they had a pretty good team and, and, you know, the coach, uh, I, you know, we, I tried out, both of us went and tried out and unfortunately my buddy didn't make it. Uh, I made the team oh, nice. and, uh, we, we ended, I ended up starting and I ended up, we ended up going 33 and oh, uh, in our team with the eighth graders that, that year. And, uh, the following year, my brother, was two years older than myself, and he was going to be a junior. My brother was about 265 pounds as a junior, and wow. uh, he started preparing to, to play football. It was going to be his first year, too, his junior year. And uh, him and I came from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, and we started – that was the first time that I started school, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year. So – uh, he started, he was going to go work out the first day. We, we got there just in time. And uh, I went with him and ha Lord and behold, the, the, the eighth grade coach, his name was Coach Sanchez, was there. And uh, he introduced me with uh, to uh, our freshman coach. And he says, uh, I know this guy can be a good player if you can talk him into it. And I was just, just, itching for somebody to ask me to go out. So the, the coach asked me if I wanted to play football. And I said, yeah. He says, well, show up at 7 o'clock in the morning and we'll get you suited up. And that's what I did. I, I showed up the following morning and uh, started working out. And before you know it, I went from fourth string tight end to third to second. To, and then I was starting uh, before the season started. Wow. Wow. So... So now tell me, I mean, was your, did you, did you develop a passion for football? Was that kind of the plan while you were going through high school? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 my, my sophomore year, uh, we were ranked second in, uh, in, in the state. And I was the only sophomore that made the varsity as a matter of fact. So, uh, you know, I, I started seeing success, you know, at a, you know, pretty, pretty quick. Mm -hmm. So for me to be, uh, you know, with the varsity, you know, as a sophomore, that, that was quite an accomplishment. Uh, they moved me. Uh, I, I was a second, uh, second string tight end, as a matter of fact, in the varsity. So I, I didn't get a lot, a lot, of, a lot of playing time and I played a strong safety on defense and, didn't get a lot of playing time on, on either side, but uh, I did get a few, few snaps. But you know, the experience that I got from being with with a great team, uh, really, I think, helped me a lot. Yeah, well, that's 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 great. You end up going and doing some college football as well. Is that right? Yes, uh, I uh, I took my ACT scores, and you know, because all those years, uh, believe it or not. We'd miss school at the at the beginning of the year, and then we'd uh, my dad would take us out before the year was out. So we were missing at the beginning and at the end. So I don't think that I was dumb. I think that I just was was not uh, fully educated. Mm -hmm. So I took my ACT exam my senior year, and uh, I just barely squeaked in to to get into West Texas State with my my scores. Uh, so. There was no way that I was going to get into Texas A&M or Texas or any of the bigger schools in Texas. Mm. But, you know, I was happy with West Texas State. Yeah. Did you end up getting a degree from West Texas or did that come later? No, I ended up uh, I ended up getting a degree. I I, uh, I mean, I, I, I loved school. I, I, I really 
I, I went to college and, you know, I would miss any, I would go to school every day. Uh, I ended up getting my degree in, in four years. As a matter of fact, I even got a, uh, because coaches back then were, were uh, uh, would teach driver's ed. So I got certified to teach driver's ed. Oh, and nice. I got a dub, double certification, physical education and uh, Spanish. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Wow. So you, um, my understanding, I was, I was reading up on you a little bit before this podcast. And I, I heard that you, uh, I read somewhere that you had tried out, I believe it was for the Chiefs, but you'd torn, you, you hurt your Achilles beforehand and it affected your, your combine. Is that right? Yeah. It, you know, I, I, I used to run a, a four, eight, Mm -hmm. 40 and once in a while i you know I, I dip into the four seven you know high four sevens and uh two weeks before uh i mean i i was training so hard for for a rookie camp and, and two weeks before i i was running working out with a quarterback and i was running a a flag pattern and i stepped into a hole and, and toward my achilles tendon mm -hmm. and i i uh was got a quarter zone shot right away. The, the, the trainer was there luckily. And he sent me to the doctor and I got a quarter zone shot, the, you know, right away. And I was on crutches for a week. Uh, the second week I got, went and got another quarter zone shot and I was able to walk without crutches. And then the third, uh, weekend I got the third quarter zone shot and I hadn't done any running on, on my, uh, on my foot. And we got there on a Sunday and we got there on a Saturday and Sunday morning that they, they timed us on the 40. And I believe I ran like a, a five, two 40. And, uh, when I got cut, the, uh, I should have told the coach cause I didn't tell anybody that I was hurt because I mm. knew if, if I would have told them, they would have sent me home. Mm. Uh, so I, I should have told them to retime me, but I, you know, I mean, I was starting. I started the, every preseason game. You know, mm -hmm. they the, they they uh, they uh, drafted a number one uh, number. Their number one pick was a tight end from mm -hmm. Kentucky, and the guy never saw a down on, on preseason. You know, I, I started in front of him, and then they traded him to the New York Giants, and then he got cut. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know. I was a great blocker because we used to play the wishbone at the West Texas State, so I could block. Mm. And, and I had some pretty good hands also. My only problem was the time that I turned in when I ran the 40. I, I couldn't push off my leg. I, I told the, 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 the trainer, I said, uh, can you please uh, really wrap up my knee, I mean my ankle, because, uh, you know, I, I, you know something's wrong, you know, just, just wrap it up tight and so I had no bent in it, and but I was able to run, you know. Yeah. And you know, a few, you know, it took me a, probably a couple because I was there for six weeks. A couple of weeks later, I was, I, I felt that I was a hundred percent, and I, I should have asked them to, to, uh, retime my forty, but I didn't. Mm, wow. So that leads to you um, going in and doing some training. And my understanding was that during during college, your quarterback was Tully Blanchard. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, Tully Blanchard was our quarterback. The million dollar man, Ted DiBiase was on the same team. Oh, wow. So it was a, the, the, you know, he, he was a, a offensive tackle and, uh, my junior year, Tully Blanchard started talking to me about, you know, he, he said, uh, my dad thinks that you could have a great career in, in professional wrestling. And, you know, I said, I don't know anything about wrestling. I said, uh, you know, I love football and I'm doing good in football because I, my junior year, I started getting letters from the NFL. Like, you know, I got mm -hmm. about four or five teams that sent me letters, including the Cowboys. And, and Tom Landry was the coach for the Cowboys at the time. Tom Landry was from Mission, Texas. Mm. So, you know, I, I uh, you know, I was gung-ho football player. Yeah. Wow. What, what was it ultimately that made you switch over? Was it just uh, the, the lack of success at the professional level or was there something else? No, I, I, I went and I played, you know, after I got cut from Kansas City, uh, I had a coach in college that had a connection uh, with the BC Lions and they brought me in to the BC, with the BC Lions and there was a, a defensive end that had got caught from the uh, Minnesota Vikings mm -hmm. and, and the tryout that I had uh, 
the head coach took me and, and the other guy and he says, okay, line up. So I, we lined up, I had helmet and shoulder pads because uh, it was already in the middle of the season for them. And he says, okay, let's, uh, you're going to block him. So I, I hit the guy twice and I sit, set him on his butt both times. The guy was like 245, 250 pounds defensive end. And, you know, I could block and, you know, I knocked him to the ground both times and he told the guy, okay, you can go back to the hotel. And he told me, you made the team. Nice. Uh, so I was just in the practice squad because I, I didn't know any of the plays. So I didn't get to play much at all because they, they were towards the end of the, you know, uh, this was probably the middle of September and, and their season was over in, at the end of October. So, you know, but I, I did sign uh, a three-year contract with them. I came back and I started. I was the only tight end in the following year. I started with the with the BC Lions, and after the season, I had told DiBiase. I said I want to I want to start uh, training. My intention was just to to to, to train, uh, and and uh, go back to to football. But I just started enjoying wrestling so much. You know, things started moving pretty fast with me, and uh, I just gave up football. Nice. Where did you end up training? I ended up training in, in uh, Tampa, Florida. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Hiro Matsuda. I have, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've a lot of the a guys. Lot of stories. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the guys uh, went through his training, including Hulk Hogan. Hulk was there probably about a month after I got there. He, uh, mm. Hulk. Uh, started training I, I was already gone mm. uh so yeah that's where i that's where i uh, got my training and uh, i got my break did you have so hogan tells a story about the first time he goes in there and he gets his leg broken by hero matsuda do you have any stories of being stretched or anything like that during training no i i uh i think hero matsuda respected me because i was an athlete mm. he mm -hmm. he uh you know, and, and, and I was uh, I was all ears. I, I went in there into the match, and, and he tried to teach me. And you know, uh, I was all ears. He he never really got cute with me. And uh, Barry Barry uh, Barry O. Uh, Bob Warden's brother was also breaking in, hmm. and he was working out with not Bob uh, Senior uh, Bob Senior Senior Bob's father was working out with Barry and, you know, for some reason, uh, Hiro Matsuda didn't care for him too much because he was already doing high spots, you know, and, and, and he mm. hadn't even had a match yet. Mm. So that, that, that kind of turned off uh, Hiro Matsuda. He says, you know, this guy is cute. Whatever you do, uh, you know, don't do that. All you have to do is, you know, just listen to me. And, and, he's, and he, he says, there's, the, you know, it's, Taught me how to hit the ropes and hit the ropes. My whole side was purple. And mm -hmm. He said, all you need to know is, uh, you know, there's seven takedowns. Learn the seven takedowns and you can have a match with anybody. So I don't know if you know, the, you know, like the headlock, take him over, arm oh. drag, take him over, uh, go behind him, uh, schoolboy him, fireman carry, single leg, leg dive, double leg dive. And uh, uh, there's another one that I can remember right off the bat but there were seven of them yeah and i learned those it says you, you learn those you can have a match with anybody everything else will come come into play uh, you tell me that you were uh, you're, you're one of the boys you know how it's not easy you know it, it's not an easy profession to learn i mean it's not i so i i trained it's it's actually interesting that my story in wrestling i when i was 16, 17, and there was a local wrestling school. It was open for two or three months. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't long enough for me to get fully trained. But because I was so big, you know, they, I mean, I'm six foot seven. They would just, guys would book me. And I was 17, I had, you know, 18. I had no idea what I was doing. So I would do that. So I, I went back and trained again with Johnny Jeter, who had a run in the WWE with, this, with the Spirit Squad. And uh, same thing. I mean, it was a situation where he would say, you don't need to do all that. Right. It's just you learn, you know, we, we just did chain wrestling and bumps and, you know, lots of lots of blow up drills and just uh, 
uh, and that's what he said, right? Is he goes, as long as you can, it was so interesting to me how you, you learn how to bump, you learn all the, all the basics and everything, even those high spots are all kind of a variation of those things you learn. So if you learn those things and someone says, you know how to do this, you can figure it out. It's actually pretty interesting. So. Yeah. Well, uh, back then, uh, uh, I don't know. You probably didn't have the luxury that I had. Uh, I, I started working full time and everybody that I worked with was better than me. Yeah. And, and everybody was teaching me, you know, and, and, and I was, uh, I had a, uh, I had a real humble attitude, man. I, I wanted to learn and I, I used to go and kiss their butts and, you know, please watch my match, please help me out. And, you know, uh, but even with all that, uh, getting in the ring you know you're so nervous and and you don't have a clue and you know when do when do you fight back when do you what wh how much selling do you do you know facial expressions to let the people see you selling and i mean there's just so much to learn uh when at, at what point do you do this and at what point do you do that and you know uh, i would watch every match and you know, the more you watch and the more you get in there, you know, sometimes I felt like I was making some progress and and then I go in the next night and, 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 and I, I would say to myself, I haven't learned a damn thing, you know. It, <laughs> right. You know, like going backwards, you know. It wasn't easy. I mean, it was yeah. very hard. But, but, you know, luckily I stuck with it. Yeah, Did, that is something that's different these days is that because the WWE pretty much put all the all the territories out of business. I mean, there's there's a lot of indies out there. You can get work every weekend, but you're not guaranteed you're going to get a guy who, you know, every time that, that's better than you. Can you can you think of uh, anybody in particular who you felt really put their stamp at the beginning of your career? Uh, well, Mr. Fuji, you know, mm. The heels, the heels were, were, were my best friends because hmm. those those are the guys that I, I was going to be working with. So, uh, Mr. Fuji, I had been in the business for 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 two and a half years when when I got to New York, and, and I, I mean I was able to. I came from Texas, and I ended up in, in New York City pretty quick with the help of Andre the Giant, hmm. and and. Uh, Mr. Fuji says, you, you got to learn timing. You know, you can throw 20 drop kicks, uh, which don't mean diddly, but if you throw one in the right time, you're going to get a real pop. Mm -hmm. So I was working with him in Wildwood, New Jersey, and, and uh, I, you know, I was going to beat him, and we were supposed to go close to 20 minutes. We had a 20-minute uh, time limit, and... Uh, Mr. Fuji was tough. I mean, he martial arts, and I mean, he could eat me up and spit me out. And uh, he says, "Just listen to me, kid." And you know, I'm in the match, and, and he's just not giving me much at all. You know, and I'm saying to myself, because I used to hear the old timers would take advantage of the young guys, and, and they would say, "Your comeback is to the to, to the to the dressing room. That's when you get to come back. <laughs> you come back to the locker room." So I'm, 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 I'm selling for him and I'm selling for him. And, you know, he had uh, talked to me about timing. He says, it's, it's just when you, and you got to hear the people, listen to the people. So he's got me on the mat and he says, okay, get on your, sit up on your, on your back, you know, bring your arm up, start shaking it. Uh, and then he says, start shaking it faster. Come up to your feet. Is this? Can you hear the people now? And the people started to go. That's the first time I ever heard the people, you know, uh, responding to to where I had the control of of of, uh, of the fans, and, and I could. The first time I was able to hear it, the fans, and then uh, he he called the comeback for me. I, I made the comeback, and and I beat him. You know, with about you know. 30 seconds uh, into the, you know, left at the end of the 20 minutes uh, and and uh, came back into the locker room and, you know, I thanked him and I said, man, he, he asked me, did you hear the people? And I said, yeah, it's the first time I ever heard them. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So you, uh, so tell me where, uh, 
where you go next after you, you get out of training, you break out. Um, did you have any notable, I guess, uh, uh, you know, did you have any notable, noticeable feuds or anything at the beginning, something that you kind of felt put you on the map? Well, uh, when, when I left, uh, I only had four matches in Florida mm. and, you know, and the, and the pay for, for beginners, as you know, is not very good. So right. I was paying for an apartment. I was sharing an apartment, and I had to spend an apartment with uh, Tully Blanchard. Uh-huh. And, you know, I wasn't making enough money to pay. Uh, I had saved my money from, from playing for the for the uh, BC Lions. and But, I you know, wasn't all that much. You know, I didn't want to go through the whole thing. But uh, Terry Funk was a world champion, and Terry Funk came into Atlanta, I mean, to Tampa, and he was going to, you know, he wrestled that night and uh, he was the main event. He was a world champion wrestling Dusty Rhodes. And he called me into the Hills locker room, which back then they used to really kayfabe. So he says, how do you like it, my boy? And I said, well, I, I like it. I said, but I, I I really can't afford to keep, you know, going. I hadn't even had a match yet when, when he showed up. Mm-hmm. And he said, I said, well, I think what I'm going to do, Terry, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to just uh, go home and start training for football again. And, you know, I'll, I'll give it another shot next, next, next season after the season's over. And he says, well, let me talk to Eddie Graham. And, you know, he was a world champion and they own the territory. They own Demarillo. And before you know it, you know, this, this was two days later, Eddie Graham calls me into his office and he started booking me, and a, a couple of weeks later, they said, uh, Tom Renesto was the booker, and he says, you're going to get a big break. He says, how would you like to be making uh, $1,500 a week? And, and I said, I'd love to be making $1,500 a week uh, because I, that's what I was making when I was playing football. And uh, he said, uh, you're going to get the, a big break in, in Atlanta. Well, I had only had four matches. You know, and I had seen what the, you know, the interviews of the main event guys, and I, I know that I couldn't talk like the main eventers. So uh, I went to Atlanta, and, you know, that's, you know, that, that, that's not what happened. You know, I started in the bottom, and uh, I, I continued to work out in the ring with uh, Don Cornoodle, and uh, they worked on me. As a matter of fact, my first match in Augusta, Georgia, it was sold out. And they, they worked on me. They said, you're a young guy. You got to come into the ring with a lot of energy. Hit the apron, jump over the top rope. So that's what I did. I hit the apron, jump over the top, top rope. The place was sold out. I tripped over the top rope, fell on my butt, <laughs> you know, and got up. And I was going to wrestle Ted Oates. And I went up to the uh, middle of the ring. And uh, the referee, they wanted to crack up. But I said, well, just call me gracious. And they both started laughing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was embarrassing. And, and you know, uh, I I was there for a while. That uh, Then I got booked in Charlotte. And, uh, you know, I learned so much. I was there for eight months. Then I, I got booked in Charlotte. And, I, I uh, again, I was, you know, working in the middle, middle of the card. I, I moved up to the middle of the card. And I was working with, you know, better wrestlers there and, Luckily, they were all uh, teaching me and helping me out, and uh, I, I, I got, I didn't get no main event matches or anything like that. But from there, Blackjack Mulligan and Murdoch were uh, were there, and they they uh, asked, you know, they bought the, the territory from the Funks in Amarillo, and they they wanted me to come to Amarillo. They were gonna, they said, we're gonna get, make you a an international star, you know, Mexican mm-hmm. star. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, 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 Murdoch was a baby face. I was a baby face, a, a Mexican baby face. And I got there, you know, I had been in the business maybe two years. And I, I had learned quite a bit. So I, I know that whenever they, whenever I was in a territory and they brought a guy in and they were going to push him, they would give him some wins on TV. You know, he he'd mm-hmm. he'd get he'd get his arm raised pretty quick. So the, my first TV match in, in Amarillo, Texas, uh, there was a guy by the name of Stan Lane. That, oh yeah. Uh, Sweet uh, Stan he, Lane, yeah. 
yeah, both of us went to, to Amarillo and we went against each other and we went, we went a draw, uh -huh. you know, and, and when the match was over, you know, uh, I was pretty disappointed and I said, you know, they told me they were going to give me the biggest push that I ever had, make me a star. I said, I know that when somebody's going to get a push, you're not going to go 10 minute draw on television. Right. So, uh, uh, Mulligan wasn't there. Murdoch was the one. They were partners. Mulligan was in a main event somewhere, probably in Charlotte or another part of the country. So uh, when he came back, I said, Mulligan, I, I said, uh, uh, I'm not getting treated right here. He says, well, we are going to push you. And, and when he was there, he started pushing me. But when he was gone, Murdoch would, uh, would make me go backwards. Mm. Luckily, Andre the Giant showed up and, when Andre would show up, you know, he'd do battle royals and the territory would always draw with him, you know, in battle royals. Mm -hmm. And Andre had, and I had become friends and I told Andre, I said, Andre, they're treating me like crap here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and unbeknown to me, Mario Savoldi was a referee and he was also part of the production in, in, in Amarillo. He, he, uh, stole a tape with one of my matches and Andre the Giant was on his way to New York and uh, Andre brought a, a tape and showed it to Vince McMahon Sr. And before you know it, I was on my way to New York. So I, I got to, to New York with the help of Andre the Giant, you know, pretty quick. Wow. And then, you know, you asked me about what was my, my first biggest break. My first biggest break, all of a sudden, I'm teamed up with Ivan Putsky and we become the World Tech Team Champions in, in New York. So he elevated me from, a, you know, opener or middle card guy to to a main event guy to a, you know, Tech Team Champion. And I, I was all of a sudden uh, a name, you know, even in Japan. I went to Japan and they used me pretty good in Japan. Yeah. So what was it? How, how did you strike up that friendship with Andre the Giant? Well, uh, when, when I went to Atlanta, I told you I went to Atlanta from Florida. Uh, I was working out and, 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 and just training and being an opener match. And uh, Ole Anderson tells me, Andre the Giant is coming in. Go pick him up at the airport. I had a, I had a Granada. And, I, and I, I went up and I picked up Andre the Giant. I had a bucket seat. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Ford Granadas. It was a 1975 Ford Granada, uh -huh. and I and I picked him and and uh, and David Von Erich. David Von Erich was also six seven, mm -hmm. so Andre was in the front seat, and Andre got in my seat and he kind of stretched a little bit, and he broke the bucket seat in my car. Uh, <laughs> so I ended up uh, trading the car in, and buying me. A, I bought me a an Oldsmobile, and. Uh, I, I started, you know, whenever Andre was around from, from there on, uh, I, Andre knew that uh, he was going to travel with me. Nice. You know, uh, I, I told him, you know, travel with me. You, you got to ride. And and he, uh, he he traveled with me, you know, from there on. And I, he liked for me to play cribbage with him. And we played gin rummy. And, you know, he kept me occupied. And, I was not drinking with him a few times, but uh, th there's no way that I could keep up with him. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard he's he was quite the drinker, man. Yep. So you get to to uh, New York and Vince Senior. So were you in New York when were you there during the transition from Vince Senior to Vince Junior? Uh, well, I was in New York for a year. They put the belts on me. We dropped them. I left, went to Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota, it's, that's when I did my first angle with, with the, the Sheik. Not the Iron mm. Sheik. It was another Sheik. Yeah. Uh, and I was there for two years. And then I went back to Atlanta. Jim Barnett really wanted me in Atlanta. Uh, but Ole Anderson didn't. Mm. So uh, Jim Barnett told me they were going to make me again another international star because they had TV that went all over the, the world, the Ted Turner uh, station. And uh, I went back to Atlanta and uh, they gave me a guarantee. And I mean, they gave me that guarantee and Ole Anderson took, took the guarantee away from me. And before you know it, 
Oli tells me, I kept, I, I kept saying to Oli, I, I, by then I, I knew if they were going to push me. And uh, he wasn't even putting me on TV. And I said, Oli, when, 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 when am I going to get this big break? He says, well, I don't have, you know, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do yet. I haven't figured out what I'm going to do yet. So, you know, finally, uh, Oli comes and tells me, Bill Watts wants you really bad. Uh, so before you know it, uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff tells me, Louisiana, they, they, Tito, you're going to be on the road all the time. And I had uh, just gotten married and we had a baby and I didn't want to mm -hmm. be in the road all the time. But mm -hmm. Oli was treating me like shit and I needed to make some money. So uh, uh, finally I told, uh, you know, I they, they tried, I'd go in there and believe it or not, uh, they they would book me in all the only the, the good towns and they were making me good money because Bill they were working an angle with me because uh, mm -hmm. I told Paul how much I made the, the first uh, uh, tour that I had with them. I think mm -hmm. I made like twenty five hundred dollars and I was the the second match. And Paul mm -hmm. says, "Tito, they're working you." He says, uh, "They're going to bring you in and then they're going then the payoff the payoffs are the shits there." So I, mm. I, Bill Watts talked to me and I said, he said, don't listen to Paul. I said, I said Paul, I said, uh, I mean, uh, Bill, I said, the only thing, Bill Watts, the mm. only thing that Paul, Paul tells me is that the, the trips are big and, and the payoffs are the shits here. Uh, mm. And he says, no, he says, you, you need polishing. I'm going to make you a superstar. Uh, so I, the third or fourth time that Oli sends me to, to, Louisiana from Atlanta, uh, I, I go up to Bill Watts and I say, Bill, I, I want to talk to you about coming in. You know, I think I've made my decision. And Bill Watts, they had a TV tape and he says, uh, this was on a Tuesday. He says, I'll talk to you on Friday in Houston. So I said to myself, well, he wanted me so bad. Now he, now he doesn't even want to talk to me. You know, Mm -hmm. How do you how do you talk to the promoters? You know, in, in wrestling, it's not like a, when you're playing football that that your credentials speak for themselves. Sure. You know, they they uh, they can work you. You know, and, and uh, so I called Vince McMahon Senior right away, and I said, Vince, I'm I'm going to talk to Bill Watts on Friday uh, about coming into Louisiana, and and Vince Senior says, uh, uh that's okay. He says, he's a good man. He's a good boy. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll treat you good. Well, Friday I, I get to uh, Houston and Ernie Ladd says, son, you got, you got to make the biggest decision of your life tonight. I had no idea what he was talking about. He says, Vince McMahon senior wants you bad in New York and Bill Watts wants you bad. And Bill wants to talk to you as soon as he gets here. So now all of a sudden I became important again. So Bill Watt takes me in the, in the locker room and, and he says, uh, Vince wants you. I want you. Uh, you're a good worker, but you need polishing. You know, by the time I get done with you, you will be a main eventer anywhere you want. But my wife was from New Jersey. So, you know, and I had already been in New York, you know, I told Bill, I said, Bill, I'm going to New York. He said, no, no, don't make the decision yet. Hmm. So, uh, Sure enough, uh, he said, he said uh, Vince wants you to call him in the morning. So I called Vince in the morning and I said, you know, I, I said, Vince, this is uh, Tito. And uh, there was like a, a pause on the line, like for maybe 30 seconds, but it seemed to me like an hour. Mm -hmm. So I, I said, I thought I started thinking to myself, well, don't tell me that Vince is on this work and he's going to be part of the work. Now he's going to start working me also. Mm -hmm. So I started to get pissed off on, you know, on, on the other, on my line, on, on the other side. And finally, Vince wouldn't say nothing. And I, and I said to Vince, I said, Vince, I said, the only reason I called you is because I was told to call you. Mm -hmm. And then he says, yep, uh, it's time for you to come home. He said, your starting date is May 10th. Hmm. Uh, and the reason I don't, I don't forget that is because May 10th was my birthday. Nice. So, uh, I said, he didn't make me any promises. You know, I said, that's all I needed to hear, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started doing TV. I'd go back 
I quit working for, for Olia, but I'll go back to Louisiana. And, and Ernie Lev would give me the book. He says, Bill Watts wants you to pick what towns you want to uh, work in. They would, I started getting treated like, like a superstar. I would mm. fly in and give me a rent a car. I'd only work in the big towns. Just they'd give me, you know, I, I, I was, I had a great time there, you know, for, for a while. So I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't driving. I was flying everywhere. Nice. And before you know it, I'm in New York and I started in New York and that was my biggest break. But yeah. you know, the, this promoters, man, you know, all the promoters, they, they, they would work you and they lie to you. I mean, <clears throat> they lie to you right to your face. You know, I, I wasn't used to that being a football player, you know, uh, sure. your, your credentials spoke for themselves as an athlete. Not how, an would athlete. You, how would you navigate that? I mean, was that just a situation of you live and you learn or did anyone smarten you up to that? No, no, no nobody, nobody smartened you up because we were all individual contractors. We were all fighting for spots, you know, sure. so nobody, you know, it was hard for somebody to really, really take you under their arm and, and, and tell you everything they learned because you'd be competing against them. It, like, you know, my, my, my friends were the heels because, you know, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't competing against the heels. Sure. Uh, my competition was the baby phases. If I, if I was going to make some moves, you know, to the top of the ladder, I was going to uh, remove a, a baby face, you know, and sure. uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as much fun as, uh, as they make it sound out to be, but the promoters had all the, you know, they decided who they were going to push, you know, Vince McMahon decides who's going to make a star and, and who he's not. Right. So you get back and how long was it before? Cause I believe at some point you became the intercontinental champion. Right? It, it wasn't long after that. Uh, mm -hmm. Jimmy Snuka was there and uh, Jimmy Snuka uh, dropped the bell to Don Morocco. And before you know it, uh, you know, I, I, uh, they tell me uh, you're going to take the belt away from Morocco, you know, and that's how they told me, you know, and, you know, God, to get the IC belt, uh, you know, was was uh, was unbelievable for me. Yeah, I bet. So you have a run as Intercontinental Champion, and uh, first, you know, Don Morocco is a is a staple in the in wrestling. I mean, huge. My dad used to tell me stories about seeing him even before, you know, the back in the territory days, seeing him come out to wrestle in big time wrestling out here in California at the Memorial Auditorium. But then you end up, I believe, you ended up having a good run with uh would you have a good run with greg valentine over that with yeah we had a we had the longest feud in the history of the wwf we uh, we wrestled i was an ic champion and we wrestled uh for three years against each other uh i had surgery on my knee it was mr wonderful who tore up my achilles uh, my, my uh, cartilage but mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to do an angle with Mr. Mr. Wonderful, but they didn't trust Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful used to lose his temper and tell everybody to go screw themselves. And you know, <laughs> he he uh, he uh, they didn't they, they didn't want. Uh, George Scott said, "No, you're gonna you're gonna do a the the angle with uh, Mr. Uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine." Mm. Another uh, amazing worker. I mean. Even I saw him, so I, I want to say it was 1998, so long past when he was really working with the WWF, WWE, and uh, it, was a, it was a show where he and uh, Honky Tonk Man worked Coco Beware and Jake the Snake, and uh, even then, even though he was a little bit older, a little bit past his prime, he, he and Honky Tonk Man could just work the crowd and, and I mean, didn't even have to do anything. So, right. Just a just a, a great worker, and and tell me that that kind of does that play into? I know you're you are you. I mean, I think it's it's a huge claim for you to say that you were the opening match of WrestleMania. But if I'm not mistaken, when you heard you were the opening match, you didn't feel great about that. Well, uh, at the time. 
me and uh, Valentine had the hottest feud in, in the WWF. We we were selling out big arenas without Hulk Hogan on the card, and it hadn't happened before. Mm-hmm. You know, Hulk Hogan was the one that do you know would would be the the sellout. But we were in L.A., we were in Chicago, we were in you know Madison Square Garden, and and, and we were good workers, and, and and we had like. Like I said, we worked. We had every type of match. Hogan would sell out uh, every first round with 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 the guys he worked with, but they always wanted him very strong at the end. So no matter what, he'd he'd always be making a comeback, so the fans could see that he couldn't be beat. So his his uh, his uh, second round would always drop, and he would never go much further than the second round. Because people, he was so strong. He was over so strong that pe- he didn't believe that people didn't believe that he, he could get beat. But I was such a good seller, uh, and Greg would leave me laying there, and I'd be selling and getting sympathy, and we'd have a return match, and you know we'd we'd uh, tie up our, our interviews with with the uh, with what we'd left at the ma- at, at the ending of the match, and people just bought it, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I had that surgery on my knee, which was was real, and they taped it. And you know, uh, I remember when I uh, went into the surgery. I, I the, the Vince said the 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 cameras there. I told the the guys with the camera. I said, as soon as I wake up, put the mic in front of me and ask me the question. You know, because I, I wanted to sound like I was you know really really hurting and groggy, and mm-hmm. and that's what they did. You know. And, and listening to my interview, you know, you could tell that I was, you know, I, I was just waking up, you know, I, yeah, I, you know, people bought it. Yeah. So, so when you find out you're going to be the, the first match of WrestleMania, um, you thought you should have been higher up on the, on the card with, with Greg Valentine. Right. I thought right. we should be one of the main events. Yeah. And, and uh, here I am opening the match and, I was pretty upset, but I said, well, you know, that's my job. I'm going to go out and do it. Right. So right before I went through the curtains, uh, Vince uh, Jr., Vince McMahon came up to me and he said, Tito, the reason you're the opening match is because we need to get the people off their ass. Mm-hmm. You're going to set the tempo for the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a completely different outlook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so now looking back, I mean, uh, you have a different outlook now on on that uh, claim to fame there about WrestleMania. Yeah, looking back, I mean, that's the, uh, you know, being the opening match on WrestleMania one is is pretty big now. Yeah, yeah. You know, pe- pe- I will always re- be remembered. They might not remember who the second match was, or the mm-hmm. third, or the fourth, or the fifth, but they know who was the opener. Yeah. That's true. How many WrestleManias did you wrestle on? I was in the first nine WrestleManias. Man. WrestleMania nine, uh, it was a dark match against Papa Chango. Mm. And, and the only match that I won in WrestleManias was WrestleMania one and that dark match against Papa Chango, WrestleMania nine. <laughs> All the other ones I either got beat or uh, somebody, if I was in a tag or, or a or a six-man tag, you know, my partners got beat, but uh, I don't remember winning any other any other matches <laughs> in WrestleMania. So, so you had a WrestleMania match. Well, I, I can't remember. I don't think it was a WrestleMania where Demolition took the belts from you when you were when you were with Strike Force. Um, well, let's go back there. So, Strike Force is something for me that was that's really memorable. So, uh, tell me. How did that come about? We were, we got over like a million dollars strike force. Yeah. And, yeah. and we show up, uh, uh, I don't know which, I believe it was a pay-per-view. It wasn't WrestleMania. It was a pay-per-view. And Rick Martel shows up and he said, you know, he told Vince that uh, he had to take some time off that his wife uh, was sick. And so Vince brought us all into the locker room with demolition. And he says, uh, Rick's going to have to take some time off and uh, we're going to rub the belts to demolition tonight. And 
that's what happened. Mm, man, it's such a bummer because you were having such a good run. Yeah, you know I mean, it, yeah. it was. It was. It, I remember. I remember Rick Martell coming in with Tom Zink and doing the Can Am Connection, and then Tom Zink disappeared, and then you guys kind of you came together one night. I think you were doing uh, announcing or something, and then ended up coming in and making a save on a match. And then you guys just had this killer run, and every match you guys had was just so exciting to watch, you know. And you, uh, I remember you guys beating the Hart Foundation for those belts, and it was just so so crazy because the Hart Foundation was such a big staple in tag team wrestling back then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was a it was a good run. Yeah. Now, when you, so were you tag team wrestling? Um, were you and Rick? You had great chemistry, but were you guys friends? Yeah, we we, we had been friends. Uh, we had teamed up in in Minnesota for the AWA uh, for Vern Gagne. Mm -hmm. They teamed us up, and we we as a matter of fact, we had babyface matches against uh, Jumping Jim Bronzel and Greg Gagne. Oh, and wow. uh, again, we were main eventers, and, and and the people bought you know our, our team. I mean, we had. Again, a pretty good run, all kinds of, I mean, we went our broadways. We went an hour with a, a babyface tech team match. Yeah. And, and we would keep the people, you know, on their toes, you know, the whole match. Yeah. So um, now you, again, you, you had this great run, which ends up, you know, at some point you end up start doing, um, well, let, let, let's finish up the strike force situation then i mean you guys that you have the match against the brain busters i believe that was at a wrestlemania and uh, that kind of led to your guys uh falling out and then you guys feuding how long did that feud go with rick martell well it didn't go as long as it it, it, it should have you know uh it it uh when, when they when they split us up and and rick martell was coming back i asked vince if, if i could be the heel but unknown to me, they, they had already planned this whole uh, model uh, gimmick. Mm. And Vince says, no, no, you're not going to be the heel. You got, I got a lot of things that I can do with you as a baby phase yet. Mm. Well, he, he didn't do much more after that. That, that was right. towards the end of my, you know. They were going to give me a big push at the end, you know. They were going to go into Mexico, South America, Central America, and I mean, I ended up beating the Undertaker in, in uh, Barcelona, Spain. Uh, and from what I understand, they were grooming me to be the world champion. But mm. then they changed their mind about going into Mexico and South America and Central America and Spain. And I wrestled the Undertaker in the main event uh, in 1992, and the place was completely sold out. Mm. The next show, they went back a few months later. Brett wrestled. Uh, uh, God, I forgot how he wrestled, and the house, you know, dropped in half. Wow! You know, they they wanted a Spanish guy there. Yeah, wow. So, um, I, I you had a, a brief run, um, kind of at the time they gave you a gimmick as the El Matador. How did you feel about that when they gave that to you? Well, I, I, I Vince says you're gonna have one more run. And I believed him. I thought he was going to give me a push. I, and I think at that point is when they were going to make me a, a champion. And then he changed his mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I actually went to Mexico, went to Tijuana to, to train to be a bullfighter. Uh, and I got the gimmick. And, you know, uh, I I don't know how you feel. But I was supposed to come out uh, from that uh, when I came back with a big angle with the, the Million Dollar Man. Mm. And they changed that at the end and he ended mm. up having that with the god what, what was the guy that used to bite the turnbuckles oh george Steele. george Steele, instead yeah. of me so mm. the beginning of my of the end for me you know started happening uh shortly after i got the matador so how did i like it you know i would have liked it if they would have pushed it but they didn't push it so i, mm. I didn't care too much for el matador mm. Now, uh, after that, where I want to spend a little bit of time talking about post wrestling, you became a middle school teacher. Was that something that was always in the cards? Was that kind of your fallback or? No, uh, I had my degree already. 
right. when I went to college, uh, it was my wife who kept saying, you know, why don't you uh, teach? Why don't you teach? Well, I didn't think that I, you know, teachers weren't making that much money. You know, my, my first contract was for $38,000 a year. Right. Uh, but, uh, the independent market was, I mean, wide open and I was making more wrestling on Friday, Saturday and Sundays. And I was working for Vince, uh, <laughs> seven days a week. Right. So, right. I mean, little did we know, did I know about, about the independent market? Yeah. We were able to sell our gimmicks. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we were doing good. Yeah. What years were those, were you doing the independent stuff? I probably, I retired in 93 and uh, I uh, probably started doing the independence in 94. I took some time off mm. and, yeah. you know, you worked when you wanted to work and, you know, uh, I started uh, doing, uh, I was a sub, I, I became a sub first and then uh an opening show, uh, you know, came about and, you know, I got the job. How, so how, uh, how do the kids react when they find out you were a wrestler? The kids, they, they, uh, I, 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 I teach in the town that I live in. So I'm the only celebrity in the town. So everybody knew who I was. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the kids love being in my class, you know, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, you, you you're not just like wrestling you're, you're not a good wrestler the first day you step into the ring same thing with with teaching you know teaching you you, you learn as you go along you know yeah. and uh, it, it's not an easy profession especially now it's you know it's it's getting harder and harder i'm retiring june 15th and i can't wait oh man you're you're almost there you're almost yeah. at the end how long have you been teaching uh this will be 26 years Wow. What have you seen as the biggest difference now versus when you first started teaching? Well, technology, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, technology plays a big role. Uh, mm -hmm. We uh, they considered me an old fashioned teacher. I, I used to like to be in the front and, and teach the whole class and uh, ex explain everything that I was teaching. And now uh, they want uh, all they want is for you to teach give them an assignment for, you know, the first 10 minutes and, and let them, uh, you know, figure it out themselves and then go over it at the end. You know, it's a, it's a completely different concept and we don't even have books in school anymore. Uh, it's all technology. Uh, what subjects do you teach? I teach Spanish. Oh, okay. Nice. And so, um, how about the kids? I, I got to imagine the the kids now are just probably so different. If you were 26 years ago, I mean, you're not too far off from when I was in high school. I, I you know, I look at my kids and they're just so different than my generation. I got to imagine teaching them is, is different too. Well, I think the kids are just a lot smarter. Mm. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people talk about how, horrible kids are you know good kids are good kids and bad kids are, are, are bad kids but if you look at you know real close uh, bad kids are are usually kids who have a horrible home life they might not have a parent uh mm -hmm. you know might be might, they might be raised by uh, grandparents you know uh, kids who who misbehave you know usually have problems at home and you know it's sad you know uh, if you can touch and you can reach, and, and I believe that I have made a difference for a lot of these kids. Yeah. And I'm sure that's rewarding for you. Yes, it is. Yeah. Do you, do you feel, uh, let me ask you, and it may be a completely different thing and it may even be an unfair question, but what do you, if you had to choose teaching or wrestling, which one do you think you would choose to do again? Uh, I believe I'm teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'd, uh, the sacrifice of all, you know, we were, we used to be on the road 350 days a year. I, I didn't get to see my kids grow up. I, I was gone so much, you know, it's, uh, that's one of my main regrets. Mm -hmm. 
How many, and, and your kids, how old are they now? Uh, I think my oldest one is uh, 41 and then 39 and then 37. Three, yeah. Three, yeah. Yeah. And do you have, how's your, do you feel like your relationship with them now has been tainted by the fact that you weren't around back then? Or do you think that the relationship is good now? Uh, I think the relationship is good. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, they were still in school and, you know, I, I was a volunteer coach for football for uh, 12 years. Hmm. I, I was there to coach every one of them. And, you know, I, I, I watched, I, I was around later on to watch hmm. them grow up. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you, um, so you, you, you mentioned when we were setting up this interview, we actually had it set, I think for tomorrow. And you were like, Oh, I got to reschedule it. It's my anniversary. How, how long have you been? Uh, how long have you been married? Uh, it'll be 42 years. Man. So tell me, you know what? That's so rare in the wrestling business where someone is able to maintain that relationship. And you talked about the sacrifice. What, what was it that you think was, uh, what, what is it that you think kind of helped you guys make it through those tough times? Well, I, I think I had a good woman, number yeah. one. Mm -hmm. And coming where I came from, uh, family was very important mm -hmm. and and, and uh, I, I was just happy that my I was making a good living and I was able to give my kids a, in my you know my family a good life even though I was in the road all the time they they uh, they've lived a, they, they lived a, they lived a good life you know and uh, we still continue to have a, a good life thank God do your kids live? close to you or do they all over the country no they're all over uh i have a kid uh, i have my middle son graduated from princeton he, he lives in africa he does uh human rights work uh wow my, my middle one uh lives in tuxbury he's about 30 miles away mm. and then the other one lives upstate new york wow man you got to be proud yes yes yeah. very 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 proud they all so they all have masters and they've all done well so if you were talking to somebody who was brand new in the business and just hungry to, to get there, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Well, whenever I would do seminars, I'd always tell them education is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. You know, get, get your education, have something to fall back on. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you know yourself, you see so many wrestlers that, you know, don't have, didn't have anything to fall back on and they're still struggling. You know, they're in their 70s and uh, have, have to be on the road uh, because they have to be. Yeah. You know, and that's, do you, uh, that's do you tough. Do you occasionally, uh, I, I'm sure you do wrestle cons and things of that nature, but do you ever get in the ring anymore? No, I no more no more <laughs> ring for me. <laughs> no more for you. Nice. Listen, yeah. I, I know I know we, we uh, talked about you wanted to do, do an hour, but I just have a couple of questions I ask everybody I want to shoot at you, and then we can wrap up, okay? Okay. So the first question is, is I want to ask you, what do you think is your biggest success in life? Uh, being married for 42 years with the same woman. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, we kind of talked about that, but what would you say was your biggest uh, failure in life and what did you learn from it? My biggest failure well probably that I wasn't around to, to you know now that I'm a grandfather and I see my, my grandkids mm -hmm. I, I see it, see him taking steps see him you know making the first sounds and speaking and I wasn't around for any of that. I mean, I missed birthdays. I missed every Christmas. We were wrestling. New Year's Eve, we were wrestling. Thanksgiving, we were wrestling. We were entertaining the, the, the fans. Uh, I, I, I missed being around. Uh, my biggest failure is that I was not around to, to, to raise my kids. And, 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 and I see how much work uh, it is to raise a kid and I wasn't around to help my wife uh, with that. Yeah. 
Um, if you could go back, would you have changed to something, anything? I, I probably wouldn't have wrestled if I, if I, if I, if I I had to do it all over again, I, I, I would have, you know, I'm a hard worker, Mm -hmm. uh, started working in the fields when I was seven years old. So, uh, I I would have figured out a way to make a good living for, for my family. I don't know that I would have married my wife because I would, I would have been in Texas, but you know, I would have, uh, figured a way to be successful. Yeah. Wow. Final question. Um, you know, one day we hope it's a long way away, but we hope one day you're going to pass away and there's going to be a a funeral and someone will give a eulogy. What's the one thing you hope someone says about you in your eulogy? Uh, that I was a good, honest, caring man. Yeah. So important, you know, um, I love what you said about your kids. You don't hear that a lot from a lot of wrestlers. I mean, you hear about the sacrifices, but saying you wouldn't do it again. And that's so important. You know, I'll I'll share this with you. When I I went on a mission for my church, uh, I wrestled from 18 to 19, and then I left. And when I came back, I looked at what was different for me and and looked at what I wanted to do. And, and, you know, I'm I'm six foot seven. The idea, you know, I know built pretty good. I'm 275 when I, you know, when I'm working out. And, uh, and I said to myself, I was like, well, what do I want to do? And I knew that I wanted to be around for my kids and I have four wonderful kids and, uh, um, I'm grateful. I ended up becoming an attorney and sometimes I look back and go, what would I, what would be different if I would have, would, would it have been better? And I don't think it would have been, you know, to be, to, to be a wrestler. Uh, you know, could I have made it? I, I think I, I had a good shot. Um, just by my size alone, but I wouldn't trade the moments that I've had with my kids for anything, you know, and, uh, and you're getting to see that a little bit too. You know, you, you saw that being able to coach their teams and do that stuff. And then also, um, uh, and then also to see your grandkids. I I can't wait to have grandkids be able to send them off (laughs) when they're, when they're tired, when they tire you out. Don't be in a rush. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's funny. You know, my kids are 16, 14, 12, and 10. It's my favorite time. It's been my favorite time as being uh-huh. a dad. Enjoy because, them. Yeah, because they're just, they're so cool. My son is a senior. My daughter's a freshman. And, and watching them just develop into real human beings is just such a joy. It really is. So, yep. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. I really do. I Like I said at the beginning, this has been a... This is a bucket list moment for me. This is exactly why I love having a podcast. We never would have really, I don't know if we ever would have interacted any other way. And I had an opportunity to sit here and talk to you for an hour and just pick your brain and and hear your story. And it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope sometime we can do it again. Thank you. I really enjoyed it and uh, very professional. I hope the fans uh, enjoy it. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, subscribe. If you've heard, subscribe. We still got a lot more exciting stuff coming. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks, okay. Tito. Thank you.